Thank you, Spate. If you have your Bibles, if you will open to 1 Peter chapter 1. This is one of those weeks that um, we're where we're, we're going to look at just a couple of verses, but um, uh, as I was going phrase by phrase through this passage, uh, there's just a lot here. And so I, I pray that uh, the Lord would encourage you, the Spirit would encourage you to dig deeper in this passage. We're, we're going to try to get through these verses, and we're going to try to hear what I think that the Spirit would want us to hear, that Peter, as he's writing, and as this has been preserved, God's Word, that I think that God would want us to hear from this passage. And what I would, my prayer for us, is that when we leave here today, that we would be amazed at what God is, has done for us, who consider Christ as our Savior, that we would be amazed at what God is doing for us, for those of us who have Christ as our Savior, and that what He will do for us. My worry as we approach this passage um, is that, and as you heard the passage read, is that we hear some of these promises um, for our future and we kind of get in this space where we say, okay, 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 I know that God has done this and will do this for us in the future, but what effect does this have on me now? And my prayer for us is that this morning that that attitude would begin to change, and then as we continue to march through this passage, uh, these passages over the next couple of weeks and months ahead, uh, that you will see what Peter is doing, and as Peter is building this argument, that you will be encouraged um, like I think that his audience was. As we remember, hopefully, from last week, Peter is writing to a group of people who have been scattered. They've been dispersed. They are not in their homeland. They are in a, a foreign area. They're in Asia Minor. And, and if we think about it, if we put ourselves into their context, and if we put ourselves into um, what they had experienced, we know that they have experienced a great loss. I mean, can you imagine if you were just uprooted and placed somewhere else? I think as a father, I think as a father, um, staying, I don't know, I'm sure all of you who are fathers have done this. If you are a young father and have not done this yet, you will. <laughs> and that is stay up late at nights, having a hard time going to sleep, maybe thinking about something that your family is going through, or maybe a worry or a fear that you're facing as a family, and you're up at night late praying, thinking about what the next day might bring. If you think about it, all they had worked for, their property, their security, their community, was gone. Can you imagine being in a place where the very thing you might be holding on to, the very thing that may bring you comfort and security in this world that's earthly is taken away from you. If you hadn't been in that place, you probably will at some point. As a pastor, as your pastor, I'm not immune to fear. I'm not immune to anxiety. Um, just these past couple weeks, uh, we've had several um, 
several things go on with our kids that have um, rocked their world and created some anxiety and fear and uncertainty and we're helping them to navigate through that. One of the things that it does is that it it makes me think and to focus as I'm sitting down with my boys and talking with them through certain things. One of the things that is challenging to me is that I think, Lewis, you know, is this what you believe? And what God does in amazing ways is to comfort. And, and as we're guiding our children through certain things, some one that I'll talk about in a minute, brings me back to the place that we have a firm foundation and a hope in our Lord that helps us to navigate this world in a different way. As I was thinking about it, I don't know why this song came to my mind, I'm weird, Um, but as I was thinking about without Christ, what do we do? And and I was thinking about that song uh, in in Annie, the sun will come out tomorrow, bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow though. And I think a lot of us, that's the theology that we have. Tomorrow, tomorrow. And what I, what I want you to see is that that philosophy, that worldview, that things might get better tomorrow, that your circumstances might change tomorrow, that tomorrow brings about a whole new day of possibility, is an empty and dead worldview. The Bible tells us that we're not even promised tomorrow and that things may not get better. So today, as Peter is working through this letter and he is writing to these exiles, as he is writing to these aliens, he is setting a foundation and he is preparing them to not only to see their circumstances in a different way, but he's also preparing them for what I think that Peter knows is coming, which is increased suffering, not less. And so he is building into them hope, and he's building this foundation so that, so that when he gets to verse 13, when the reader, when we get there, and when his readers get there, this makes total sense where he says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in the Spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are building there. And so today we're going to see the the first part of this foundation. And we're going to start in verse 3. And right from the outset in this section, as Peter is writing, he turns our attention to the place that our attention needs to be turned to, where he says this, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the first part of this statement, blessed be God, this would have been something that was very familiar to Christians who were reading their Old Testament Bibles. But Peter makes this radically New Testament, radically Christian, because he adds this phrase, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has done it. There is a tone here that Peter wants his readers to know. And it's not just, blessed be God. Think about the promises set forward in the Old Testament. Again, this week, like we saw last week, Peter is calling his readers. 
Peter is calling his readers to know that they are being enveloped into the family of God. And what he is saying is, God has done it. He has made a way. Jesus Christ came and He died on the cross. And for all who put their hope and trust in them, there is a security and a hope that you have that was promised in the Old Testament but has now been fulfilled. Blessed be this God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is writing this. This tone is to those who are struggling. He is saying, look to God. Look to Christ and what He has done on your behalf. I've mentioned this illustration before, but it's one that's meant a ton for me in my life. When I am tempted to only see my circumstances and to get anxious and to get frustrated or to get depressed, I think back to when I was in college and I was learning to mountain bike and I was learning to kayak that a wise older fellow who was probably my age and I viewed him as old, as I was learning how to mountain bike, one of the things he told me is this, and it's true. So if you're wanting to mountain bike, snowboard, or kayak, this is a, a truth and it's, you get it for free this morning. Where you're looking, you will go. So if you want to avoid a tree, or when you're kayaking, there are dangerous things on the river, there are places that you don't want to go, and if you've ever done any of these things, what you know is that as you're paddling, if you're looking at the danger and obsessed with the danger, even if you're saying, I want to go this way, you will go to the danger. And one of the things in our life, and one of the things with our faith is if all we see is our circumstances, if we refuse to look anywhere else other than the things that are going on in our life that are difficult, we will stay there. We will ruminate there. We will, anxiety will be produced. One of the examples, and I asked him if I could use him as an example this morning, and I'm going to use him throughout this is um, my son Miles, uh, two years ago, injured his foot, and like a great parent, uh, I think three weeks ago, we had it checked out. So he's facing a lot of uncertainty. And I have to tell you about Miles, he is a very active young man. He loves sports. Uh, every day he is out in the yard doing something. Even if nobody else is out there with him, he is out there doing something. And this thing has brought him to a screeching halt. And the first couple of days were hard. It was his life. And one of the things I kept telling him was, Miles, we've got to stop focusing on what you can't do. We've got to begin to focus on something else, on what you can do. Because if all you do is sit around and focus on what you can't do, this is going to be a very long time. We don't know how long this time is yet. But it would be a very long time for him and for us. And so this is what Peter is doing here with the beginning of this letter as he is telling his readers, you are in a difficult time. Stop looking at your circumstances and look somewhere else. And he is drawing their attention. And it is 
plainly obvious when we look at this text that he is drawing their attention to God and what God has done, is doing, and will do for them. Let's look at verse 3. Notice the wording. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice the wording where he says, who has caused us to be born again. It's a very interesting phrase. This whole idea of being born again, um, we really don't see it anywhere else in, uh, in, in the literature of the time. Guess where the only place we see this idea of being born again Nicodemus. Who would have known the story of Nicodemus? Peter, right? Where Jesus says to him, where Nicodemus is saying, you know, how can I enter into heaven? And Jesus tells him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus has the right thing. How can I be born once I'm old? What can I do? And Jesus is telling him, there is nothing you can do. That it is God who Regenerates. It is God who gives us the new birth. You must be born again. Notice, notice also in this. According to what? According to His great mercy. Again, Peter is drawing us into this idea uh, that we get in Ephesians 2, that you, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you former walked. But God, being what? Rich in mercy, made us alive. Peter is drawing our focus, his, his, his readers' focus and their gaze to God, the author of our faith. He is telling us, look what He has done. He has caused you to be born again. It is by His mercy. It is not earned. It's not deserved. It is received. He is forcing us here to look at something that is just amazing. And what I want to ask you this morning, do you marvel at the fact that you are born again? At the end, we're going to talk about this a little bit. But one of the things that happens in our life, and again, we'll, I'm, going to, I'm going to say it and then we're going to come back to it at the end, is that some people will be telling me about the difficulties in their life and, and we need to be sympathetic and we need to sit with them in that and we need to talk about that and we need to strive to overcome circumstances and, and that sort of thing. And I am all about that. But for a Christian, we should never be at a place to where we are so distraught and distressed that we can't see any hope or any light because the very fact that you're born again. And this is a miracle. And this is the greatest news ever. So, Peter doesn't stop there. As he's writing, he's saying, you were born again. And the structure here is, is he uses the same word to talk about uh, two realities 
that he is just pointing out. There are more, but two realities of, of being part of the born again. And we see them here, and, and, and I want you to see them as well. Uh, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Here's the first one. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the first thing that we see that Peter points us to is that you were born again to a living hope. Now, you know when the Bible talks about hope, it's not talking about wishing. We've had this conversation before, right? Sometimes we use the word hope like, I hope I have a good lunch after church. When the Bible talks about hope, it is talking about something that is for sure. And it's a different way that sometimes we talk so when he says a living hope it is a for sure thing you were born again into a living hope a sure thing and the reason that it's a for sure thing is because it is God behind it right now isn't it interesting that he says a living hope a living hope and I think he uses this uh, for two reasons one like he does with the tagline, through the resurrection of Jesus, is pointing us back to this reality that for those of us who have died with Christ, for those of us who have trusted Christ to, 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 to take our sins onto Him, those of us who have died with Christ, don't you know that you will also, what? Live with Him. The idea of His resurrection, that not only have you died with Him, but we live with Him. And so our hope is living a dead hope would be the anti-theology. It leads to nothing. A dead hope would be for the people to whom this letter was written, saying, I would do anything to just be able to go back home. I would give up my inheritance, if you could. I would give up my salvation if I could just go back home. That is a dead hope because one day that person would die and there is no hope for them. Do you see what Peter is doing here and what he is saying? And he is pushing them on to a hope that's not temporary. Because Christ has conquered the grave, our hope is eternal and it is sure. Coming back to uh, my son... Um, there were probably, I know there were days because we talked about it where he would say, if, if, oh, I would give anything if I could just play lacrosse this season. Right? I hope we don't really mean that. But sometimes in the way that we live and sometimes in the situations that we're in that are painful and they hurt and they touch us to our core, that when we're only focused on the circumstances, sometimes we get to that place to where we are willing to utter those words, I would give anything. And what Peter is drawing us to is, no, no, no. No, no, no. You're, that, that, that's a dead hope. Your hope your hope is greater. Notice the second thing. Not only does the new birth, um, uh, new birth according to a living hope, 
But notice in verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. This is so interesting to me on so many levels. So the first is to think about it this way. And there's two ways that I think that Peter is, I think Peter is doing something really clever here. The first thing to do is this. So he is writing to people who have lost everything. And in this day and age, in this culture, your land was your inheritance. Right? It's not a 401k that can be transferred over to your kids. It would be your land. And so here are a people that have lost everything. They have lost their inheritance. It's been taken from them. And Peter is saying, no, no, no. No, no, no. For those who are part of God's family, they have an inheritance that will never go away. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at your circumstances. Look up. Look beyond. You know, when I was uh, thinking about this, uh, I couldn't help but thinking about Ina, uh, our dear sister, who we lost months ago. And, and many of you may not know Ina's story. Ina was from Cuba. Her... Um, father was a very wealthy to-do person in Cuba. Uh, she and her sister would talk fondly about um, the magnificent house and the people they had that would be cooking meals for them and would clean up after them and were raising them. She just had this wonderful life. And I'm sure she was set up to where if things would have just rocked along like they were going... The, the world was just open to her beyond measure until Fidel Castro. And when Fidel Castro came into power, everything was lost and she was sent, her and her sister were sent to America as part of a program to help protect them from Castro. And so literally overnight, she went from having the world at her fingertips to a place to where, as an 8th grader, I think it was, that she was working in a hospital. No offense, I know we have some Nebraskans here, but tropical Cuba, Nebraska, overnight, it's a tough transition. Didn't speak the language, didn't know anybody, and was immediately put to work, and in a lot of ways looked down upon because they didn't understand her, (laughs) And there was no arguing, do you know who I am? (laughs) And I think about this story and I think about that many of these people that Peter is writing to would have been under the same, could have been under that same uh, weight and that same circumstance and pressure. And here we have Peter saying to them, no, no, no. Your inheritance is not here. Your inheritance is better. Now, the other thing that Peter is doing The other thing that Peter is doing, and we know this through the words that he uses, imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, he is drawing his reader's attention back to the Old Testament. Under the Old Covenant. Do you remember the the people, God's people, when they were released from Egypt and God was taking them to the promised land, to Canaan, right? The land flowing with what? Milk and honey. And along the way, as they got... Uh, frustrated or flustered that God was pointing them to, hey, I'm taking you to the land. 
You are going to take the land. I'm taking you to the promised land. Well, under the old covenant, that promise was conditional. And think about it this way. The word imperishable, the the closest thing that we have, that, that what it denotes is this not able to be ravaged by invaders. What happened to Canaan when God's people disobeyed? It was ravaged. Uncorrupted. Another way of saying this is not stained by sin. Unfading. This connotes this idea of cannot spoil, cannot diminish in value, in beauty, or excellence. And all you have to do is read the book of Isaiah and the book of Jeremiah, and you understand what happened to this promised land because of the action of the Israelites. And what Peter is telling his readers is that this isn't like that. As Kurt was leading us this morning, uh, in a couple weeks ago, or months ago, I used the idea when we were in Hebrews uh, for Christmas that Jesus is more better. That the new covenant is more better. And what Peter is saying is that, no, now your inheritance, that is to keep you going, to keep you in this time of wandering, to keep you focused, and to keep you going, this inheritance is imperishable. It's uncorrupted, and it's unfading. It's beyond our imaginations. And this inheritance is yours. This is for God's people. So, two questions. Two questions that I have of the text. And that Peter, I think Peter is trying to answer. Number one, how do we know for sure... And then number two, how does this help us now? Number one, how do we know for sure? And let's look at the text. And let's look at the first thing we see of how do we know for sure. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. The first thing we see is here, reserved in heaven for you. This word reserved means guarded or protected. And notice where it is guarded and protected. Where? In heaven. In other words, in other words, I think this is another good southern saying. For those of you who are not from the south, I've, you know, past two weeks I've given you some good southern sayings. Is what he's saying is you're going to have to go through me to get it, which is the greatest news of all. We know, and we can be sure that this inheritance is ours because God says He is the one guarding it and protecting it, and that if anyone wants to get this inheritance, they're going to have to go through him to get it, and there is no one or no thing that could accomplish that. Secondly, look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. This word protected um, means to be held prisoner, almost like protective custody. And so what we see that God is telling us again is look to me. This inheritance which I have for you is sure because I am the one 
who is protecting you. I, I have you in my protective custody. It will be yours. It's almost like somebody who has a trust. Somebody the other, and I can't remember the joke and it's probably good because we don't need to joke at this point, but somebody had a trust and they were telling me that their kids got this as long as they didn't do this and it was you know, something funny that they were telling me. But you can do that with a trust, right? You can say, hey, you get this inheritance as long as this happens or this happens. What God is saying is, I don't need to write conditional clauses here because I'm the one who is going to protect you from making the shipwreck and losing it. Blessed be God. Look at what He's done again and again and again. We see this here. Notice, keep reading. Those who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. I'm going to come back in just a second. I want to talk about salvation first and then come back to protected through faith. But the first thing I want to look at is how do we know for sure? Because God says that the salvation that you have is ready to be revealed at the last time. He doesn't say might be revealed at the last time. He says it is ready to be revealed at the last time. We think, what is salvation? Past? Yes. Present? Yes. Future? Yes. What Peter is telling us here is the completion of your salvation. Making it home. Union with God. Complete restoration in heaven with Him for eternity. It is ready to be revealed for those who are born again. At the last time. That God is there. God has secured it. We will make it home. The last thing. The last thing is this. We are being protected through faith. And you're like, oh, there it is, Lewis. There it is. That's why our salvation can be rocky and unsure. Because it's because of faith. Well, let me tell you what he's not saying. What he is not saying is that if you have enough faith that we can make God protect us. You understand that? What he's not saying is that if you can muster up enough faith in yourself, then God will accept you or or protect you. He's not saying that if you can muster up enough faith that bad things won't happen to you. He's also not saying that our future hope somehow bypasses human agency. You know what I mean by that? What he's not saying is that, because think about what he's writing here, and think about who he's writing to. What he's not saying is if one of these scattered exiles denounces their faith, walks away from the Lord, and makes a shipwreck of their life, he is not saying that, oh, 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 it's all okay. That's not what he's saying. I grew up in a tradition, uh, which I believed, uh, so let me say that. I, believe in a, I grew up in a tradition which I believed, and you know, the slogan that we had in the Southern Baptist life was once saved, always saved, right? But how that got played out a lot of times 
was that you could at 7, 5, 6, 10, 20, 40, 80 years old, walk down the aisle, whisper in the preacher's ear, fill out a card, your life never show any fruit, denounce Christ the very next day, and there were people in the church that said, oh, oh, but that one time, they walked down the aisle and made that decision. I grew up in that tradition. And what Peter is saying here, what Peter is saying here, is that future hope doesn't bypass human agency. In other words, in other words, that person who never showed any signs that they were saved weren't truly saved in the first place. That those people who are saved, those people who God causes to be born again, God also does something else for them. Do you know what else He does for them? Gives them faith. God gives them faith. Now this gets, we'll talk a little bit more about this in coming weeks. We don't have enough time here. I know I'm kind of provocative and then putting it back. But think Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. Think all throughout the Bible and, and, and what, what I'm saying here and what I believe and what I believe this verse teaches is that God empowers our faith. The faith that we have is supplied by God and we exercise that faith that God gives us. In fact, in fact, and you may say, well, how does he do that? That's what Peter's doing. As Peter is writing the inspired word of God to believers, what happens when they read this letter? Guess what happens to their faith? Boom. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit ignites the faith. When the word of God is heard, the Holy Spirit ignites the faith. And if we had a faith meter in our, that you could see, we get it. Holy Spirit, through God, through His Word, the work of Christ, increases our faith. Look, look again in verse 2. We didn't get to jump all into this. But according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And if we would have had time last week, and if we had a lot of time this week, we would talk about sanctification, and the sanctification is, is God making us holy, but we have responsibility in that, and there's this, there's this, there's this thing that happens as we do that, and, and I think that's what we're talking about here to true believers, that they are sanctified, they are made holy, they are changed, they are encouraged, they stay between the lines, they persevere through faith that God supplies to them. And Peter is writing to these downtrodden, these exiles, because they're born again, because of God's mercy, because of Christ, you have a living hope, you have an inheritance, and you have a salvation. So how does this help me now? I'm enslaved, I'm struggling I'm being mocked. This is what some of these Christians were experiencing in 1 Peter. 
And what he's telling them is, look to God. This is not your home. This momentary light affliction is producing something in you. God is at work. So, if this world is not what we're holding on to, if this world is not where we're grabbing on to for our treasure, for our hope, then what that means is that I hold that loosely so that the things that happen to me don't devastate me as much as they would if all I had were this world. And it encourages me that as I am going through life, not only can I endure it, but that God has a purpose in it. And that I have a purpose in the midst of this. And the whole rest of this letter is going to be Peter writing to these exiles, here's how you walk. So again, I want to come back to my son. And uh, as, as Miles was having a difficult time, I, I just want to tell you a, a couple of things that happened that I think has at least momentarily helped him and helped his faith and helped him to look to something instead of just looking at the leg or looking at what he can't do. And the first thing that happened is we had a, we had a family devotional the other night. Uh, our son Silas is struggling with some things too. We, we had a family devotional the other night. And we just happened to be um, talking about the Israelites in the desert grumbling. It was a great devotion. And I just asked the question to all of them. Uh, Flannery was in trouble. She had to go to her room, which I think is providential as well. Boys, what in your life, if you focus on, would cause you to grumble and maybe cause you to focus on something that God wouldn't have you to focus on? Just wonderful conversation about that. Wonderful conversation. A couple nights later, we had uh, Damon and Leah came over and prayed for Miles and anointed him with oil. Another example of the saints of the church coming, coming around. What do you think that does to your faith? What do you think it does? It helps us to look up. We got a letter in the mail from one of the growth groups uh, that was encouraging. What do you think this does in the life of a young man who has the temptation for his identity to be wrapped in how good he is at lacrosse or football. The Spirit, I have seen the Spirit work in a way that bolsters faith and causes to say, okay, I've got to look beyond the current. Now, does this mean there won't still be struggle? No. Right? Any of you who have gone through anything... You have these victories and you are with the Lord and God has just really spoken to you and then you wake up the next day and what's happened? Oh, my foot. I'm never going to be able to play with lacrosse. You know, whatever, right? And so it's a, it's a thing where God is calling us to daily set our focus and our gaze upon Him and to look to Him. In other words, this letter, this letter is a gentle, loving rebuke. And you may say, what do you mean? And here's what I want to say. Now again, I'm going to use Miles. 
if everything is going down the tubes because he can't play sixth grade middle school lacrosse, what would I call as a loving father in a loving way, what would I call sixth grade middle school lacrosse? An idol. It's controlling you. It's all you can think about. Everything about you is funneled through this. Now, what I want to lovingly say is that when we are in the midst of it, let's say we're having a hard time with job. Let's say we're having a hard time in our marriage. Let's say that we are having a hard time financially. I care about those things. God cares about those things. Those are, those are precious to Him. He cares But brothers and sisters, if we can't shift our gaze from the stress, from the trauma, from the oppressing things, and look to God, what happens is that those things become an idol. And maybe the real idol that all of us struggle with is that we want what? We want control. We want a formula. And the reality is, is that God doesn't work that way. That it's many times through the hurt foot, through the marital problems, through the financial problems, through the job situation, that God does something in us that we will talk about next week, which is way more valuable than what? Gold. But notice, I feel like this is a loving rebuke. And I hope that you hear it that way. Now, one of the things that we are going to do, if the men who are going to serve us communion, if you'll come on forward. And I think Tracy's going to play for us.